You may notice that we've changed a few of the order of things in service this morning. We will be praying for the sick at the end of service, and so if you have a need, we will do that. But part of that is because in our second service, we're going to be celebrating some baptisms together. It will be near the beginning of service, so if you'd like to stay and celebrate with us, you are certainly welcome to do that. Even if you have to slip out after those baptisms are done, we would invite you to, uh, to celebrate those baptisms with us as people uh, profess their faith in Christ publicly and are baptized in recognition of their identification with Christ. It'll be a wonderful thing to celebrate together. I also want to ask you that you would do a couple of things. One is this. If if you've ever experienced physical healing from God in your body, uh, there's something that we are preparing for and would love to hear about that. And so there are a couple of ways that you could share that testimony with us. One of those is that there are some cards in the seat back in front of you. One side is for prayer requests. The other is for praise reports. And if you can write that testimony down, even briefly, if we need to follow up and get more details, we can. But you can write that down. You can put it in the offering box in the lobby or you can drop it off at the hospitality counter or at the office and we'll get that and would love to hear about that that way. Or you could even email, uh, email me or uh, Heidi Fontenez at the church office and share your testimony that way. Again, if we need to get in contact with you for details, we can do that. But we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. So if you've been healed physically, we would love to hear about how God has done that. And also, if you have not been to our Wednesday evening prayer services and you would like to receive prayer, grab one of those prayer cards and fill that out. You can put it in the offering basket or in the offering box in the lobby. And every Wednesday night, we pray for those. We have uh, people who will get those cards and will call out your name before the Lord and trust with you that he is going to move and minister to that need. And so make sure that you do that. And then come to service on Wednesdays. We would love to have you join us for uh, this important time where we're calling out to God for one another, for renewal in our church, and for our services. And so uh, please join us on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. How many of you have ever been church shopping? Anybody ever been church shopping? Church shopping is when you're trying to decide which church you're going to attend. And some of you may not ever have been church shopping. Maybe you got saved in this church or it's the first church that you ever attended and, and you just stayed. But Others may have done a bit of church shopping. I never did any church shopping growing up. My dad was a pastor, and so that kind of limited my options. We were always going to the church that he preached at, and that was just kind of the way that things, that things were. Thankfully, he was a good preacher, so I didn't mind, but I never did any church shopping. But if you've ever moved, or maybe there was another circumstance in your life that dictated that you needed to find a new church, you know how difficult it can be to find a church. And the term that we sometimes use, like church shopping or church hopping, can make it sound a bit crass, can't it? I mean, you can imagine a couple walking out of a church they just attended for the first time, and the wife asks her husband, well, what did you think? Well, I don't want to complain, but the pastor's sermon was four minutes too long, and I'm going to miss the beginning of the game. Wife, I... I know, and his main point was far too long to fit on Twitter, and the lighting was all wrong for an Insta post. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really like that one song they sang, either Great Are You, Lord, it just didn't move me. And there was so much scripture. It was hard to understand it. I'm looking for more of an inspirational speech with a verse, really. Yeah, me, me too, and can you believe how that worship leader was dressed? I mean, those shoes. I liked her shoes. I mean, I guess they were okay. 
I suppose you'll tell me next that you didn't notice I was wearing the same pair of shoes this morning. Right? So you can imagine that these are the conversations people have sometimes when they attend a service and they, they look at it as if they are critiquing what's going on there. That church was an event, it was a show performed for their entertainment. Now that might be a bit of an extreme example, but the very term church shopping makes it sound like church is all about us and our preferences. And sometimes people do get self-centered when they're looking for a church. It's hard not to because that's how we decide most everything else in our lives, isn't it? What's it going to do for me and my family? Will it be convenient? Will it be what we like? Will it be what we prefer? We have options and we want what is best for us. And of course, the church should be good for you and your family. We want it to be good for you and your family. But that same attitude can easily mislead us about the nature of what the church actually is. It makes us seem like the church is something external to you. That, that you use. You, you may find yourself attending week to week, critiquing what happens, but otherwise unengaged. It can lead us to believe and behave like church is a performance on the weekends, something that we attend. But is that what the church really is? Is that what it's supposed to be? Is church an event? Is it a performance? Is it something we attend and critique for our own preferences? And today, we're considering the church and its mission in order to understand from the scripture, what's the nature of the church and what ought we to be doing as the church? And the Assemblies of God doctrine, and we've been looking at these 16 fundamental truths, and today we're on the 10th one called the church and its mission. And the doctrine of the church and its mission states this, the church is the body of Christ, the habitation of God through the spirit, with divine appointments for the fulfillment of her great commission. Each believer born of the Spirit is an integral part of the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Since God's purpose concerning man is to seek and to save that which is lost, to be worshipped by man, to build a body of believers in the image of his Son, and to demonstrate his love and compassion for all the world, the priority reason for being of the assemblies of God as part of the church is to be an agency of God for evangelizing the world to be a corporate body in which man may worship God, to be a channel of God's purpose to build a body of saints being perfected in the image of his son, to be a people who demonstrate God's love and compassion for all the world. The Assemblies of God exists expressly to give continuing emphasis to this reason for being in the New Testament apostolic pattern by teaching and encouraging believers to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This experience enables them to evangelize in the power of the Spirit with accompanying supernatural signs, adds a necessary dimension to worship to worshipful relationship with God, enables them to respond to the full working of the Holy Spirit in expression of fruit and gifts and ministries as in the New Testament times for the edifying of the body of Christ and care for the poor and needy of the world. I think that we can look at that and we can summarize this doctrine using three aspects of ministry and three images that the Bible uses to describe the church. And these ministries and images, they're, they're related, they overlap with one another, but the summary should clarify what the church does and the images can hopefully enlighten and help us to remember the purpose of the church, the, the doctrine of why we gather and why we are what we are. That if you are a genuine believer in Christ, you are an integral part of the church and therefore 
you should partner with the church in its mission. You should partner with the church in its mission. This is a word that I like to use a lot because I think that as believers in Jesus, we should understand that we are partnering together, that you do not attend something, but that you are a partner with other believers. You are a body with them. You are joined to them in accomplishing what God has not called an organization or institution to accomplish, but his people, including you, if you're a believer, to accomplish together. So let's look at these three aspects of ministry that will enable you to do this, that will enable you to partner effectively with the church. And the first aspect of ministry in the church is directed toward God. It's worship. The church exists to be a place where men and women can gather to worship the Lord. And one of the images that the scripture uses to teach us about the church helps us understand this. It's the image of the temple. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. It says this, as you come to him, that is to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you got up this morning, Maybe you, you have a family or, or you have a spouse or, or you called a friend and you said something like, let's get ready and go to church. And then maybe when you arrived at the building, you turned to the back seat and said, stop messing around and get inside the church, kids, right? So you were telling them where to go, a location. However, the church is not the building. It's the people of God. Amen. The building cannot worship God. This building can't worship God. It's a tool that can be used to worship the Lord, but the real structure of the church isn't stones or two by fours and drywall, but the people of God. That's what the church is. And at 1 Peter 2.15, the apostle extends the metaphor of the temple. And I've actually got a picture of some of the stones of the temple, if we can show that, the temple in Jerusalem, and you get the idea of how large the stones were. If you've ever visited there or you've seen pictures of the Western Wall, you get the idea of how large the stones were, and especially today, they don't look too alive, to be honest. But Peter says that you and I, like these stones are stacked on one another, are being built up as living stones on top of the foundation of Jesus, that we are the temple of God and we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. And so he takes this metaphor and he extends it because worship in the temple was conducted by the priests. They offered spiritual sacrifices. They offered animal sacrifices at the time to God. And I think it's important for you to understand this, that Peter says that we are being built up as God's priests. Maybe you've come from a background in which you called someone else priest. You thought that it was that person's job to worship the Lord, to offer sacrifice and praise to God, and maybe you showed up sometimes to watch him do that, to observe that happening, or to participate in a minimal way, but you always thought that's the priest and that's his job. But that is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches very clearly that you and I are priests to God, 
that we are called on to offer worship to the Lord. And the Bible teaches us that we are now, because of Jesus and what he has done, we are the temple and we are also the priests who offer that worship. That worship includes praising God in song and in prayer. It includes loving service to God and to one another. It includes honoring God with our words toward other people and the testimony of our lives. And it also includes this, a life of holiness. There's another important image when it comes to worship that I think as a church it's so important that we would understand. It's helpful for us to think about this image. There's a tradition at weddings that the groom is not supposed to see the bride in her wedding dress prior to the ceremony beginning. And whether the meaning of this moment is clear to most people or not, I I think is probably doubtful. The vanity of most weddings uh, probably masks any kind of real spiritual significance of anything that's going on. Something that should be profound is often made into just a display of wealth or vanity. But the bride in this moment is indicating that she has prepared herself and saved herself for that moment. The moment signifies the purity and the faithfulness of marriage. Marriage and the giving of the bride to the groom is not just a convenient image for us to understand Christ's relationship to the church. Rather, what the scripture teaches us is this, that God made marriage beforehand so that when he sent his son Jesus, he would have a ready image in the world for us to understand the kind of love that he wants to show to us and the kind of purity he desires from his church as a response. That is, by the way, why marriage is sacred and why we have to take sexuality and purity and marriage so seriously as believers. It's not because we're prudes who can't enjoy the beauty of what God has created. It's because we understand that there is a deeper beauty than the merely external things of our sexuality and that God has created this image of marriage to be a reflection of his love and of the church's purity and holiness toward him. And so in our marriages as Christians, we seek to honor that and to hold it in high regard. The church is a bride the bride of Christ. Revelation chapter 19 verses seven to eight says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The church and every one of us as individuals in the church should offer worship in holiness to the Lord. Holiness means that we're set apart for him. Your life is reserved for Jesus. It's not just your life anymore. He lives in you and your life is his. And if we feel some resistance to this because we've bought into the cultural lie that we're autonomous or that we get to make up our own identities, sexual or otherwise, then consider that marriage provides a great image for our relationship with Jesus in this regard as well. When you're married, you give yourself, or at least you're supposed to give yourself to another person so fully that the Bible teaches that your body is no longer your own. It belongs to your spouse, just as theirs belongs to you. And marriage tip here, if, if you enter marriage and you think of yourself as some kind of individual who's in contract 
with another individual, your marriage, especially Christian marriage, will struggle. Because that's not the way God designed marriage, it's not the way he intended you to think of yourself, nor is it an image of him and his church. And since he created marriage to be an image of him and his church, then what we ought to do is think of ourselves as he thinks of his church. That is that Christ has been united with his church, that she does not belong to herself, but that we belong to him, and that he belongs to us. And as a result, when you think of your marriage, you ought to think of yourselves as one not as two people in a contract. That aside, you don't have a contract with Jesus in which you have a ticket to heaven or he gets your divided attention for 90 minutes once a week. That's not Christianity and that's not the church. We belong to him. And the other side of that coin is that he belongs to us. We are united with him. So we offer our lives as worship and that worship should be holy. It should be pure, untainted by sexual immorality or greed or pride or rage or disobedience or the selfishness of this world. And of course, our worship often falls short of that, doesn't it? We fall short of the ideal. We're still being prepared. But I want to emphasize that if you're a part of this church, the way that you live matters to all of us. Listen, in the church, there's no you do you. In the body of Christ, there's no, you be you, you live your truth, I'll live my truth. The Bible knows none of that. That is worldly garbage, and it's demonic. But what the scripture teaches us is that we belong to Christ first, and then also this, that we belong to one another, and how you act affects the entire body of Christ. Hebrews 12, 14 warns us, strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, our lives and our church are to be set apart to God, lives of worship that, that bring glory to God, that magnify him and his ways before others. And so if you're living a life of compromise, if you're ignoring your sin, if you're refusing to listen to the voice of the Spirit and to repent of wrongdoing, if you're living in lust, having sex outside of marriage, defining your identity by your sexuality and not by Christ, if you're greedy, if you're filled with selfish ambition so that you ignore God's purposes, if you lack in self-control, if you're disobedient to God, disobedient to parents and authorities, if you don't keep your tongue under control but you gossip and you slander and you lie, confess your sin to the Lord. Repent and let the Lord cleanse you so that we together as the bride of Christ can be pure and pleasing to him so that our worship can be untarnished, untainted, and we can offer it to the Lord because that's why we exist. And too often what happens is that people bring worldly ideas into the church that say I ought to be able to live however I want and you should just approve me or at least ignore me. But what we know of the church from the New Testament is this, that we are to sharpen one another. We are to call one another to repentance. We are to encourage one another and call each other to lives of holiness, stirring each other up toward that so that we can offer pure worship to God. And so I wanna encourage you, believer, if you're a genuine believer in Christ and you're, you're, har- you're harboring sin in your life and you've been offended because someone dared say something about it, someone dared approach you about it, someone even in a spirit of love and humility tried to encourage you in a new way and you were offended, repent. 
God calls you to repentance because he wants us together to be able to offer holy worship to him. That's why we exist as a church. Let's be a church that worships in holiness. When we bring our sacrifice of praise to the Lord, let's offer it in joyful purity. Christ is willing to cleanse us. But if we deny his righteousness, we're not his bride. Let's not deny the righteousness Christ has given us. Let's embrace it, receive it, and walk in it. The second aspect of ministry by which you should partner with the church and its mission is ministry to other believers. You can build up other believers. I think that deep down, all of us want to belong to a group that we can assume has our best interests at heart. And some of the most recent terms people use to describe this desire, they'll use terms like, you know, that, that's my people, that's my tribe. And, and so they'll say something like, you know, uh, those are my people. But even more, uh, they're looking for people who will believe them and support them and do what is best for them. They, they want that. We want that kind of acceptance in our lives. And we all know the desire to belong to a group, to be loved. Maybe you remember a time in your life where you were looking for that. You were new to a place. Or maybe it was back in high school and you can think of your attempts to find your people. Maybe you tried to find them through sports or through academics or, or through how you dressed or the subcultures in which you got involved. And if you were able to find a group with whom you didn't feel the need to keep up appearances, you were blessed. You had something special. But too often, competition and jealousy get in the way of that ideal. And it feels like there's only so much love and admiration to go around, and so everybody's kind of jockeying for their place in the spotlight. But wouldn't it be great if the church was a place, a group of people, where you could assume everyone had your back and you had theirs? Sadly, too often, attitudes and, and feelings that we grew up with in the world sneak into the church as well. The Apostle Paul warned the church in Corinth about this. In 1 Corinthians 3, 3, he wrote, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? But in the church, there's something beyond the typical measures of popularity that should create a genuine sense that we belong to one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, for in one spirit you are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the same spirit. And the body of Christ is another image that is used for the church that communicates how we are interconnected and united together. All true believers are members of Christ's body because we have been baptized into the body by the Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that all the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In Christ, we're no longer disconnected. We're no longer merely looking out for our own interest. The model we have been taught in our culture is that you're only responsible for yourself, but that is not the way of God. We are to care for one another. 
what you do affects every other part of the body. And our goal should be to build each other up so that the body grows up to be like Christ. Again, Paul says at Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The mission of the church not just a building, not just an organization, but the people of God, particularly the people of God in a local setting, like here in Agawam at Bethany Assembly, the mission is discipleship, building each other up toward Christ. And the more we do this for one another, the more the whole church looks like Jesus. We'll be able to represent him well. And God has given you gifts by the Holy Spirit to enable you to help build others up so they can be more like Jesus. God gives spiritual gifts. He gives gifts like prophecy or speaking in other tongues, interpretation of tongues, wisdom, knowledge, faith, and healing. He gives gifts that may not strike you immediately as supernatural, but when put into the service of his kingdom, have an outsized impact. Things like administration, or humble service, or encouragement, or teaching, or mercy. He gives different gifts to each person. And uses the skills and the talents of each one of us to build up his church when we're submitted to him. But sometimes we're not submitted to him. Sometimes we like to use our gifts, our skills, our talents, our personalities only for our own benefit. And sometimes that means that some people feel isolated because we're too busy thinking about how to build ourselves up rather than how to build each other up. Unselfishness is a really hard thing. We usually feel like if we're unselfish, we will be neglected. We won't be taken care of. But this is the body of Christ. There's really no other option for us but to live with unselfishness toward one another. We will not become the church that God intends if we don't look away from ourselves to others. And you may think that your talents or your gifts are too good or too spiritual for this church. Stop being so selfish. You might think that your gifts and your talents, your personality, isn't good enough for this church. Stop being so selfish. Trust God's plan. He puts people in his church to build it up. So I just want to ask you, will you just submit your gifts and talents, whatever they are, your skills, your personality, whatever it is, will you submit that to the Lord, focus on others, so that we can be built up like Christ. What ways have you been too inward focused to see the people that God wants you to encourage so that the body can be strengthened? Where has fear held you back from serving others or using the gifts he's put in your life to bless and encourage them? Maybe you don't think you have any gifts. Let me just recommend this. One of the best ways to find your gifts is just to start serving. To find a place, even if it's behind the scenes, to just offer offer humble service to other brothers and sisters in Christ. And through that, the Holy Spirit will help you to discover the kinds of things that he's created you for, that you're good at, that you are exceptional at, at building people and building the church up in, and he'll help you to discover where you can serve and minister through the gifts that he has provided. Holy worship and building up the body are two aspects of the church's God-given mission in which you should partner. But the final one is this. It's witness. It's evangelism. You can push the proclamation that we are called 
to, to tell the world. You could push that forward. Jesus left his church here to proclaim the good news that he is Lord, that he reigns, as we sang earlier. And Jesus, from the very beginning of the, of the Bible, was the, the goal of history. And, and from the very beginning, God revealed that his purpose was to reconcile humanity to himself. And now we know that that happens through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And this mission involves reconciliation to the forgiveness of sins and deliverance from hostile powers, both spiritual powers and physical powers. Jesus said he, he left his church with this great commission in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. One of the unique contributions that the Assemblies of God and Pentecostals have played in this mission is our emphasis on the need for the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish it. God has given us power through the Spirit to fulfill his mission. It's not just up to us, it's not just our best ideas, but we rely on God and we move forward through the Spirit's power in the work that he's called us to. Not only that, but from the beginning of the Pentecostal revival that started in the early 20th century, Pentecostals have placed an emphasis on our belief that Jesus could return at any time, and we have to prepare the way for him. Jesus himself said at Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Listen. A lot of people get caught up asking what are the signs of the times and what ought we to see, what's gonna happen first, what's the order of events. You know what, there's a lot of different views about that, but the one clearest thing Jesus said would happen before the end was this, the gospel will be preached to all nations. If we're urgent for the return of Christ, then we ought also to be urgent for the preaching of the good news to all nations because that's what must happen before Christ returns. And as long as Christ has not returned, then we can assume that that mission has not been completed, and so it ought to be on the top of the priority list. Not only should it be on the top of the priority list for the church in terms of an organization, it ought to be on the top of the priority list of every individual who considers him or herself a part of the church, for every Christian. This is what Jesus said we are to be about. This gospel the good news that Jesus came, he died, he rose, he was, he, was, he was ascended to the right hand of the Father, he reigns on high, and he is coming back to judge the world. This is the good news, and that good news is to be preached to all nations. Then the end will come. And since we desire, church, to see the return of Christ, I hope we do, then it ought to be on the top of our priority list as a local church to proclaim the good news about Jesus. But we sometimes get intimidated and distracted. Perhaps we've not spent time in the presence of God and been filled with the spirit and the power that we need. We may at times allow the desires of our flesh to distract us and something called mission drift begins to occur. Mission drift happens when you start off going in the right direction but you take your eyes off the goal. And as a result, even if it seems small at first, after a while, you've drifted far off course of what you intended to do. Maybe you can imagine it like this. You're really good at making donuts. And so you decide you're gonna open a donut shop. You open the donut shop, your mission is this. We wanna make the best donuts in the valley at the best price, right? That's your whole mission, that's what you wanna do. So you open it, it's going really well, and then one of your employees has a great idea. Why don't we add bagels to the menu? 
Good. So you add bagels to them and you start making those people seem to really enjoy the bagels. And then another employee says, let's put breakfast sandwiches on the bagels. And so you do that. Everybody seems to enjoy that. And of course, breakfast sandwiches, they need hash browns. And so you add hash browns pretty soon. You've got pancakes and basically everything you can get at the fast food chain down the street from you on your menu. But the problem now is you've put yourself in the same market space as that fast food chain and everybody starts ignoring you and going back to what they used to do and your business goes bankrupt and you no longer get to make the best donuts in the valley at the best price, right? Because you had mission drift. Now, who knows? Maybe with a donut shop, it works out for you and it's probably not that big a deal. But think about what happens in the church if we drift off of that mission that God has given us. Your mission is to Make disciples, proclaim the good news, build up the church and worship God. That's the mission. Then somewhere along the line, someone suggests that maybe you should have a breakfast club, a sports program, an exercise class, rent rooms for birthday parties, sell t-shirts, have a ministry for men, women, boys, girls, dog owners, cat lovers, hikers, bikers, offer trips into the city, run camps, host conferences. You should do all of these things, all of which may be able to be connected to the mission in some way but they could also be potential distractions to legitimate evangelism and proclamation of the good news. And what can happen is that we, what we like and what makes us comfortable slowly causes us to drift from the clear and urgent call that we are to be making for people to repent and believe the gospel. And this can happen in our lives personally, can happen in the church, if we don't all keep our focus on the mission to which Christ has called us, to proclaim the good news. Have you experienced a mission drift in your life? Did you used to be urgent about the good news of Jesus, but now you find yourself a little less passionate about it? Did you used to be involved in sharing the good news through the church or in your neighborhood or at your job, but other priorities have kind of crept in or other fears have crept in and gotten in the way? Do you find your focus on Jesus' purpose for your life growing fuzzy as you focus on your wants? Has your purpose become less clear because there are other things crowding it and your ability to help the church push the proclamation of Jesus forward has diminished as well? Refocus today. Ask for urgency. Ask the Holy Spirit to put a burden for the lost on your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to put an urgency for the return of Jesus back into your life of prayer and seek to help others focus on the purpose of the church as well. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and we're going to get ready to respond. Worship means glorifying God. And what greater way to glorify God than by telling others about his greatness? We're building up the body of Christ, but for what? Unless it's that we're going to be representatives for Christ in the world and so all these aspects of ministry, worship, building up the body, proclaiming the gospel, they all work together. They all are related. And look at this. These three aspects of ministry are exactly how we describe our local church's mission. We say this, Bethany exists to glorify God by advancing the good news about Jesus. That's proclamation. So that lives are transformed as they are filled with the Spirit, marked by baptism, connected in community, that's discipleship, and mature in worship. That's not just a cool mission statement. That's the reason the church 
both the church universal and this church exists at all. And you are here so that we can fulfill that mission together in our local community. That's why you're here. That's why you're a part of the church. God put you here for that. We must not look at the church as merely a social institution, but as the work of God. This is not a place that we dreamed up so that we could be comfortable and happy here. This is a place that God designed, that He made, that He created, that He dreamed up before the world was made to be a place to glorify His name through worship, build up a body of saints that reflect Christ and are able to proclaim Him effectively in their context and around the world. That's why God made the church. And if we're just a social institution, let me ask you, what does it matter? You can find people smarter, funnier, and better looking than me to listen to on Sunday morning, probably from your couch, pretty easily. You can do it, pretty simple. So if that's all we are, just another social institution, then why do we bother with all of this? I'm grateful, you know, that, that that's not what we are, that God has made us something more. You, you can find nicer buildings and nicer activities that interest you more. But you can't find anything more powerful on earth than Christ's church. He said this, on this rock I will build my church, on the proclamation that I am the Son of God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So listen, if you're looking for comfort, I recommend your couch and a TV clicker. If you're looking for funnier, try a comedian. If you're looking for smarter, try a TED Talk. But if you want to be a part of the most powerful thing happening on earth, try the church. Be a part of the church. Be a part of what God has called the saints and the local body of Christ to do. And don't be a part of it in name only, believer. Don't say, oh yeah, I go to that church. No, 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 you don't go to a church. If you go to a church, you're not part of the church. If you're not part of the church, you're not a Christian. That's, that's just Bible, that's basic Bible, I think. I don't think I've said anything strange there. No, 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 you are part of the body of Christ. Be a part, do your part. Partner in worship, in building up, in the proclamation that Jesus is King and He is coming back to get us. Listen, this morning perhaps you've come and you're not a part of the church. And it's not because you didn't attend Maybe you're not a part of the church because you've never confessed that Jesus is Lord. You know, to be a part of the church means that the first thing you recognize is that Jesus is Lord because he's the head of the church. And the Bible tells us this, that you, know, you might be looking for something to worship in your life. Everybody does. You look for something to, to attribute your purpose to, meaning to, to give, you, uh, to give you direction for your life. And so you worship something. You set it as the goal of your life. Most people choose something like uh, power or wealth. Uh, many people put the perception they think others have of them as the goal of their life. And so they focus on how they look or how their social media posts look and stuff like that. And, and that's what they've made the God of their lives. Some people actually get into spirituality and, and, and they worship false gods, but everybody worships something. But the Bible says you were created for one thing, and that's to worship the Lord. You were made to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, and to follow Him for all of your life. And if you don't do that, then you are drifting. You're going in the wrong direction. The Bible says this about what happens 
when that takes place in a person's life. It says that the wages of sin, that is the, the result, the consequence of setting something else up as your God and your goal is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so today, the call for you is simple. You need to recognize that God sent Jesus to die for your sin, for all the ways that you've drifted from him, rebelled against him, and ignored him in your life. Jesus died. He died for every time you've sought to pursue purpose or meaning through something other than him. Every time you've relied on something other than him, he died for that sin. And he did it so that he could offer you new life so that instead of going toward death, you could be brought to new life. And maybe right now you sense in your life, whether you look successful externally or not, that your life is headed toward a kind of death, a spiritual death perhaps, an emotional death, but definitely you're headed toward physical death. And if you don't know Jesus, you're headed toward spiritual death as well. And if you're dead and you're sinning, you're trespass, and you're sensing that in your life, what God wants you to know today is that he sent his son to die for that sin and that he will give you new life. Because God not only sent Jesus to die, but he raised him from the dead on the third day. And he proclaimed this to you, that if you will confess your sin and believe that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The important and urgent part of this message is this, that not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but he, Jesus also ascended to heaven with this promise that he would return to judge the earth. I don't know when that will happen, and neither do you. I don't know when you'll die, and neither do you. So today, God gives you opportunity through the call to the gospel to repent, to trust Jesus, to believe on him for eternal life, and to be saved. So I'm gonna ask if you'd close your eyes just for a moment. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, you don't know that you're headed toward Christ, You've never confessed that he is your savior, that he's your Lord. And today you wanna to receive that salvation. I'm gonna ask you to do something simple but bold. Would you just stand up? Is there anybody like that? You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. You've not confessed and repented and believed on him. You've never, you've never confessed that he's the savior, that he is your Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead. And you wanna do that today. You wanna to know his forgiveness. You wanna know freedom and new life in Jesus. I'm gonna ask you if you would just stand up Anybody like that? If you've joined us online and you'd like to respond, you can text the word HOPE to 413-300-6061. We'll get in contact with you so that we can talk and pray with you as well. But if you're here and you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus, don't worry about what other people think about you. If you don't have that and you wanna confess and believe in him today, would you just stand? Anybody like that? Go wait for just a minute. Anybody in that position? And believers, we're going to do this today. We're going to respond in this way. I think that the, the, the most appropriate way may be the strangest for a Sunday morning, but it's this. On Wednesdays, we do something where we pray with one another. So for the next five minutes, what I want to encourage you to do is this. Find two to three other people and turn to them. We're the body of Christ. And just share something that perhaps the Lord laid on your heart today. Maybe you want to share something where you feel like you need to grow in the body of Christ and say, you know, I feel like I've drifted off mission and I need to ask the Holy Spirit to help me to get back on purpose for him. Maybe there's something where you've sensed that, you know what? My worship has not been as full and as pure as it should. And I wanna ask that God would help me to worship him in holiness. Maybe it's that you've been afraid to use your gifts in the body of Christ and you'd say to your brothers and sisters who love you and wanna pray with you, you'd say to them, 
I want to find how God wants to use me in his body. And for five minutes, just share those requests briefly and then pray for one another. If you're uncomfortable praying out loud, then I'm sure the others in your group would be happy to pray with you anyway. And I'd just say this as well. Don't be afraid. This is not a show. This is not uh, the right words at the right time. This is just talking to the Lord and asking for his help with things that we know he cares about as we've heard from his word today. In five minutes, when that's up, the worship team is gonna begin to sing and we're gonna just close in a song of praise to the Lord. But would you do that right now? Would you turn and find two to three other people and just begin to, to share very briefly how the Lord has spoken to you this morning and then pray for one another that God would build you up and build this church up to be the people of God he wants us to be in this valley.